Hello and welcome to episode 96 of the NFL Scotland podcast. The focus is firmly on the draft as we're now just days away from finding out which team will be selecting whom in the first ever NFL e-draft. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Paul Mitchell, trading up, trading down, taking the best player available or Jets fans booing at yet another reach. There's nothing quite like the NFL draft. To kick it all off, though, we're looking at the draft from a purely fantasy point of view to find out some expert advice on what and who to look out for. Yes, we've not spent a lot of time talking fantasy football on this podcast, but it's big business, and we're delighted to be joined by one of the best in the business today. FanDuel's JJ Zachariasen joins us to share his thoughts. So continuing on a run of recent hot form when it comes to guests on the NFL Scotland podcast, we're absolutely delighted to be joined by JJ Zachariasen, who writes editor-in-chief for FanDuel for Number Fire and host of the Late Round podcast. Thank you for joining us, JJ. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be on. Um, we're talking to you a week, and it is exactly a week pretty much until the 2020, weird as it's going to be, NFL draft is remotely done from basements around America. Um, <laughs> can't wait to see Commissioner Goodell's underground lair. I wonder what that's going to look like. <laughs> but there's so much to talk about, so much to focus in on. What we're going to do with this one, though, is look a little bit at the fantasy side of things, because obviously working for FanDuel and doing what you do, fantasy is your bread and butter. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to uh, to see. I, I think it's a really, really good class in general uh, for the main fantasy positions, especially at running back and wide receiver. So obviously we've got the, those positions, but... Let's start at position one, first of all. And this is the, it feels like an absolute given. Uh, Joe Burrow, LSU, what a season he had last year going to Cincinnati Bengals. First of all, do you see it going any other way? I can't really foresee something like that happening, no. I mean, usually, you know, this time of year, we start to hear rumors and and crazy things uh, popping up about teams trading out of that first overall pick. Um, you know, last year was, was kind of interesting with what was going on early in the draft with Kyler Murray and people uh, not seeming to, to wrap their head around the idea of Arizona getting rid of Josh Rosen and getting Kyler Murray. But that kind of story usually, you know, occurs mo- a month or two before the NFL draft actually happens. So at this point, being a week out, I really think that Joe Burrow is just going to be their franchise guy. Yeah, I, I mean, what year he had. Myself and Paul, who do the podcast, were lucky enough to be in LSU, not last year, but the year before. So we've seen Burrow play, which feels special to see that guy then hopefully go number one overall. But the year he had last year, taking LSU to that championship, and they, they were on sensational form. And there's a bunch of their players that we're going to talk about probably as we go through this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, he it, it's a... It's a strange thing, too, because I come uh, and I, I look at things with more of an analytical angle. Um, and one of the things that, that we always have to be worried about with, with the quarterback position um, is you you ideally want a guy to have a lot of experience in college because that generally translates a little bit better to the NFL. Um, and you want sustained good production uh, with that experience. And the weird thing with Joe Burrow is that he doesn't necessarily have, he only had one good year really in college and it was last year, but his numbers and his production and how he performed was so good that you kind of just have to dismiss the fact that he only really produced for that one season. If you were likening him to a player that's played in the NFL, who's who's the who's the one that draws the most parallels? 
Um, you know, I, I don't know if there is I, I, the, the one that I look at statistically that makes the most sense. Uh, he's sort of like a better Sam Bradford. Um, that's just more from an analytical perspective. But I think that we're going to see, you know, a little bit of uh, of a Russell Wilson to his game almost because he can scramble well and he can escape the pocket. Um, so I think that there's some some intrigue there in, in what he can do with his legs. Um so, so, you know, I, I think that and not only that, but Russell Wilson has one of the best deep balls in the game and Joe Burrow can really push the ball deep, not necessarily with tons of velocity, but really just great accuracy. Um, so I, I think that that's really the kind of player that we could end up be looking at. Now, the other quarterback coming into this one that was, let's be honest, before last year, was going to be the number one pick is Tua out of Alabama. Comes in with the injury, obviously, with the the fact that we've not had the face-to-face days and things like that. Teams haven't had the opportunity to to investigate that injury. Do you think, though, from a fantasy point of view, he's, he's going to go high wherever he's going to go, purely on the reputation and the skills that he's shown before. Do you think he's likely to get into a situation where he could be a player if we've got football in 2020? And let's just assume that we are. Yeah, you know, I I think that uh, in an ideal world for Tua, you know, he would land in a place like the, like uh, the charge with, with the Chargers, where there is a bridge quarterback there and Tyrod Taylor, um, and you don't necessarily have to worry about um, you know him him starting right away and that team being competitive right away. I think Miami's another destination that just naturally makes sense because they have Ryan Fitzpatrick there who can serve as that bridge and and you know allow Tua to completely heal and get there. Um, so. I don't know if we're going to see Tua play right away, just given the medicals. And we've already heard teams uh, not necessarily are already heard that teams don't necessarily want to take them uh, in the top 10. They sort of cross them off their list uh, as a result of, of the injury. Um, and I think in an ideal world, you know, we wouldn't see him play until maybe halfway through the season in, in a world where this 2020 season is happening. Um, but, you know, again, if you look at history, Players who are drafted in the top 10, especially quarterbacks who are drafted in the top 10, even if we think that they're going to sit sit a year and sit behind a quarterback for a little bit, that almost always never happens. A, a good recent example is with Daniel Jones, where Daniel Jones is more of a project. You know, Eli Manning's there, so obviously it's a perfect bridge quarterback with a veteran guy. And then Daniel Jones, early in the season, he just becomes a starter. Uh, that happens a lot more frequently than not. Uh, so it'll be really, really interesting to see if, if Tua ends up seeing the field earlier than we expect, as long as those medicals are okay. Yeah, indeed. Um, any other quarterbacks then that you're, you've got circled as one to watch? Um, you know, I think from a fantasy perspective, Jalen Hurts is kind of interesting just because of what uh, he can do with his legs. That's obviously a really, really big deal from a fantasy perspective. You know, we, we worry about rushing and we care about rushing with the quarterback position a lot because uh, it's almost a cheat code. Uh, so with, with, with Hertz, you know, he's, he's not as polished of a quarterback as some of the other guys. And, you know, a lot of people are going to comp him to a guy like Lamar Jackson, uh, which, you know, you can understand to a degree because he really utilizes his legs, uh, more than what we see from a traditional quarterback, but Lamar Jackson was much better as a passer. Um, and, and I, I do think that, that we have to keep that in mind, but Hertz is someone who, um, you know, he has a, a pretty decent profile overall, it's just going to be a matter of can he find a place where he can sit back a little bit, not necessarily start year one and go right away. And if he does get an opportunity, I'm just really intrigued by what he can do with his rushing production. So obviously that's a couple of the names that we've talked about there. What about actual positions? What are the teams, if you see them reaching and going high on a quarterback, 
what what should we be looking out for from a fantasy point of view to get that steal to get someone that is maybe going to come in and feature earlier than we might anticipate? Yeah, I mean, I I think you know in general, uh, the quarterback position isn't the most important position from a fantasy perspective in general. Like if you're playing season long fantasy, you can usually wait and wait and wait at the position. Um, and if you're playing DFS, uh, you know you can even spend down because the position is pretty predictable week in and week out. Um, so, you know, with regards to these rookies, um, you know, usually you don't see incredible production from rookie quarterbacks. Um, there are instances where you really want to get that rushing component. And if there is that rushing component, uh, like we saw with Kyler Murray last year, then those guys can be very impactful year one in fantasy. But my guess is that the only guy who might be a fringe starter in a typical 12 team league that you'll find uh, this season is going to be is going to be Joe Burrow and everyone else for the most part. You know, I'm not as intrigued by. I, I'm I'm a little bit interested, I guess I should say, in whoever lands in uh, with with the Chargers, mm. mostly because um, you know not not necessarily because uh, you know that offense or, or that player necessarily is going to be awesome himself, but the offense has pieces. You have Austin Eckler in the backfield. You know, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and Hunter Henry uh, to, as pass catchers. Um, and they have a great defense as well to give that quarterback, you know, more favorable game scripts, which is always important. Uh, so I, I think the Chargers are an interesting landing spot, and that would be sort of the wild card quarterback, whoever ends up going there, if they do get one, because, you know, maybe they, they end up punting this year and they just they hold Tyrod Taylor and they just go from one next season. Um, but I think they're, you know, it's, it's not often that you have opportunities to get one of these players. So I would be a little bit surprised if they don't get a quarterback. Yeah. Okay, on to the wide receiver class then, because this feels like, you know, we've heard a lot about this. The the depth at this position seems to be really strong this year. Um, and actually, you look at some of the gradings online and things like that, there doesn't seem an awful lot between the top three or four. Uh, again, was lucky enough to see Justin Jefferson as a player. He, what a season he had with LSU, was obviously a massive asset for uh, Burrow at LSU. But you've got C.D. Lamb there, you've got Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs. Um, there's a lot of names at this position that are being touted to go in the first round. And actually, there's a lot of people saying that this could be the most amount of receivers we see in the first round for a number of years. From a fantasy mm-hmm. point of view, obviously this is an impact position. So who are the guys that you're thinking are going to have the biggest impact? Yeah, so I model uh, wide receiver and running backs. I have a pr- I have prospect models that looks at historical data, looks at particular metrics that seem to be predictive from college to the NFL, and it helps predict the first three years of production for those players. Um, and and according to the model right now, uh, when you input, you know, draft capital is important as well. It's an important input um, because obviously, if a team is viewing a player as good. They have scout info and they're scouting them as well, more from a film-based perspective. Uh, but then on top of that, uh, you know, guys who are drafted earlier are going to just naturally see a more immediate opportunity. Yeah. Um, and that's obviously important too. Uh, so right now, my number one wide receiver in the class is Jerry Judy. And I think it's close between him and CD Lamb. Uh, Lamb was the more productive guy. Uh, but Judy, uh, within my model, looks better mostly because it does factor in competition. And Judy had not as good of a stat score as C.D. Lamb had. But when you factor in the fact that uh, he had multiple, uh, potential multiple first-round wide receivers playing with him, uh, he's in an offense just that was loaded with talent. And even still, he was able to sort of ascend and be a, a pretty dominant force as a receiver. 
Um, and then, you know, he was, he's a fine athlete, a little bit undersized, which you don't love to see, but, um, with Judy, you know, whenever you plug everything in and you look at size and speed and production, there's a comp that really, that really shines and it's Stefan Diggs. I think that's the kind of wide receiver we're looking at with Jerry Judy, which, you know, if you can get a Stefan Diggs rookie wide receiver that you can then develop for the next, you know, five to 10 years, you would definitely take them, you know, 10th overall. So uh, Judy to me can play all over the field. Uh, I think he's the number one wide receiver in this class. I do like CD lamb a lot though. And I think he's close. CD lamb though, to me has a little bit more variance to, to his outlook where uh, Judy, you you can easily find a straight up comparison of of Stefan Diggs, whereas CD Lamb, a lot of people compare him to someone like DeAndre Hopkins, but he's about 15 pounds lighter than DeAndre Hopkins, and so it's a little bit difficult, at least analytically, to make that connection. Uh, I think he's sort of in between a DeAndre Hopkins and, and a Sidney Rice from you know about a decade ago, where Sidney Rice could really stretch the field, and he was he, he had a couple of good years, and he's a good wide receiver. I don't think he's as bad as Sidney Rice. You know, I don't think he's on that side of the spectrum per se. Um, but he's just got a lot of intrigue. There's a lot of variance to his game, though. And he's he, when you when you watch CD Lamb, I think the one thing that really stands out is his yards after the catch ability is something that I've never really seen before from a wide receiver because he's sort of lanky, uh, but he can he can escape tackles like I've never seen a guy his size do. And you just kind of take a step back and say. How is he doing this right now? Uh, he really manipulates his speed well. Um, so I really like CeeDee Lamb. I think both of those two guys, and I actually think those two guys are in their own tier within this class. Okay. If we look at the guys directly after that then, you've got Henry Ruggs. Now, from the Combine, an unofficial time of 4.27. We talk about pace, and you look at the impact of someone like Tyreek Hill. How much are the teams going to be looking specifically at that 40-yard dash on a player like him? Yeah, I think that they're going to look a lot at it. Um, you know, my issue is that if that's their main case for drafting Henry Ruggs, then they're going to overdraft Henry Ruggs if they're planning on taking him in the first round. Um, but I do think that there's a little bit more uh, completeness to his game. My biggest fear with Ruggs, and again, I, I like to prospect a lot through data because I think it allows you to sort of streamline a process, whereas your eyes can't always see everything. Um, and with Henry Ruggs, uh, what's what's pretty interesting about his profile is that you have to question uh, why his production was as not bad, but pretty mediocre as it was in college, uh, which is another reason why you got to love Jerry Judy. You know, if you love Henry Ruggs, then you have to love Jerry Judy as well, because Jerry Judy was the far more productive wide receiver at Alabama. Um, but with Ruggs, you know, I, when, when I plug in someone with a negative stat score into my model that was also drafted in the first round, there are nine players over the last 15 years that have hit those those thresholds, none of them, not a single one of them has been a success at the NFL level. The best wide receiver among that group uh, is Ted Ginn Jr. So there is some variance and some ambiguity around Henry Ruggs and his ability to translate. Now, to be fair, I'm modeling based off of what happens in fantasy football and the production in fantasy football. I think Henry Ruggs is one of those players where he's going to help a real football team more than he's going to help a fantasy football team. Sort of like what we've seen from Deshaun Jackson over the last decade or Santana Moss back in the day, where they can stretch the field, they can open things up for other players on their team. But in the end, the stat lines, which is obviously what we care about from a fantasy perspective, they're not always there and, and as there uh, as some of the other higher volume wide receivers. They're making sort of a, a secondary impact on their teams. 
what team positions then, or, or what teams are you looking at for players to land at where you think they're immediately going to be a fantasy contender, not necessarily because of the player, but purely because of where they end up? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the one place for a guy like Jerry Judy, for instance, uh, that makes sense is Oakland because Jerry Judy can work a lot, uh, work well with sort of timing routes and, and those shorter passes as well. And he can work everywhere. He can work in the outside in the, in the slot a little bit. And that that does fit with Derek Carr well, and they don't have many pass catchers in that offense. Uh, so I think that he can see volume right away. You know, Henry Ruggs, if he really wants to be successful, well, not he, he probably doesn't care about fantasy football, but if you're drafting Henry Ruggs in fantasy football and you want him to be successful, you probably want him to find a spot where there really aren't, or there really isn't that much competition for targets in general. So, you know, Miami in the short term isn't a terrible spot for him per se, um, but I do worry about any wide receiver really going to the Jets. Uh, Adam Gase and his offense has has been has shown uh, to sort of kill production for fantasy purposes. Um, so I'm a little bit worried with any of these guys going to to New York. Um, but there's a lot of spots that are that are uh, that were in a lot of places where teams need wide receivers. I think Minnesota is a really interesting spot, but none of the the higher end guys will necessarily land there because they need someone to replace Stefan Diggs. Um, but I think the number one place where where we're probably going to see one of those higher end guys go, especially because of their draft capital that they have, is is Oakland. And I think that realistically, any of them could could end up thriving there. Yeah, and I mean, Oakland obviously on the move, very young team, um, uh, an opportunity, hopefully some targets for Derek Carr, who does feel like as a quarterback, his production at times is really good, but he seems to have a really bad reputation. Um, and hopefully that's the sort of thing that they can put in place to give him an opportunity in his new home to try and find some form and make Las Vegas his home. Yeah, for sure. You know, the, the weird thing with Derek Carr too, you know, as an aside, is that his efficiency metrics and what he did last year, he actually had one of his best seasons in the NFL last season. And that was with everything that happened with Antonio Brown. You know, his his top pass catcher was a, a tight end that no one wanted in Darren Waller. Uh, he wasn't working with much and he had a pretty good year. So I, I went from being a big Derek Carr hater when, when he uh, was in his early years where now I think he's sort of being uh, looked at in the wrong way. I don't think he's a franchise uh quarterback per se but you know everyone yelling for him to to be gone uh, I think that he can serve as a decent guy for the next year or so yeah okay on to running backs then and this is the position where let's be honest first years have the tendency to make the most impact I think um yep. and certainly over the last couple of years we've seen some really big impact players when it comes to fantasy um DeAndre Swift obviously at the top of the board there he feels like the the most likely candidate to go somewhere pretty early in this one yeah, and what's interesting is uh, he's actually not my favorite running back in this class. Um, my my favorite running back is Jonathan Taylor of Wisconsin, um, and and it's mostly because again I, I I value production a lot. I love DeAndre Swift; he's my number two running back. Uh, but I value production a lot, um, and I talked about draft capital before being a really important input into my prospect models. Um, and it's especially true at running back. It's more true at running back where the talent at that position is just inherently a little bit less important than, say, a wide receiver, where a wide receiver needs to win those one-on-one -on -one battles, needs to get open in order to see targets, uh, whereas a running back needs to you know, be called upon uh, by his coach in, in a, a play call uh, in order to get the ball on a run or, or get a screen pass usually. So um, I'm not as worried about running back talent per se, 
So if DeAndre Swift ends up going before, way before Jonathan Taylor and in the first round, which I think both things are very, very possible, um, then Swift could end up being my RB1 post-draft. Um, it just depends on which teams are, are really going to spend at that position uh, in the first round because it's not really a, a common or uh, something that, that a lot of teams love to do in, in today's NFL. If you look at the two players that you've mentioned there at the top, uh, Taylor feels more like he's got the the height and the weight to be that all-round running back, whereas it feels like Swift has kind of had more comparisons to Frank Gore than anything else. Um, and if we, I mean, I, I'm a 49ers fan, so I love Frank Gore, but from a fantasy point of view, was never necessarily a player that got you a ton of points. It would get you the yards, would get you what you needed to do, you know, consistent and solid, but was never going to be one of those running backs that was top of the, the rushing yards uh, season after season. So um, I guess a huge part of that does depend on where they land both potentially yeah. good players, but um, it does matter a lot which scheme they're going to end up in. Um, what other guys then on that list, other than those two, are you looking at? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a couple more, a few more uh, outside the two um, in, in sort of a, a big five running back group, if you will. Um, I really like Cam Akers out of Florida State. Um, he's actually my number three running back in the class right now, but I think, you know, once the draft is over, depending on landing spots, et cetera, you know, things will change among that, that group, this, this tier. Um, but Cam Akers, you know, he had decent college production and a lot of people will knock his production because it, it didn't look that strong um, from a raw production standpoint, but I work within what's called market share where uh, you're looking not at the raw production of a player. So I'm not comparing Cam Akers' production, raw production, to Jonathan Taylor's because obviously Wisconsin's a team that will run the ball a lot, uh, will generate more yards before contact with their offensive line, etc. I'm really looking at how that player performed within his own offense. So Cam Akers, how many, or what percent of the running back attempts and the rushes did he see what percentage of the rushing yards did he have? What, you know, what, what, uh, how many, uh, what percent of the receptions in his offense did he see? And Cam Akers, despite playing in a, in a pretty bad offense at Florida state, um, in, in an offense that the, the line yards that they generated and the yards before contact were horrific. It was horrifically bad. Um, I mean, we're, we're talking like a thousand yard difference it, just by the offensive line alone between Jonathan Taylor and Cam Akers. Um, and he still did some work with with what he was working with. Um, he ran a four five forty at two hundred and seventeen pounds. He had a great weight adjusted forty time. He has the right size to be an every down back at the NFL level. My comp for him is Marlon Mack. I think that's the kind of player that we're looking at with Cam Akers, but maybe a little bit better. Um, and I hope that he can be you know a round two or maybe round three pick in order to in order to sort of with stand still in these rankings and where I have him. But the other two. Um, are J.K. Dobbins and, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Um, J.K. Dobbins just seems someone le that, that can do it all um, and it is a pretty safe bet. The one piece of downside is that he ended up weighing at the combine under 210 pounds where he plays sort of in, you know, like a, like a, a, a bigger-bodied back um, and a little bit more bruising. Um, and so it's a little bit worrisome whenever a guy weighs in a little bit less than you would expect given the style of play he has, but I still think he should be fine. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is someone who I love, uh, and he really works so well in today's NFL, just given his pass-catching prowess. I think the easy comp to make for CEH is Maurice Jones-Drew, uh, two really compact, small running backs who uh, are slippery and can uh, do a lot of the backfield as receivers. 
I would love Clyde Edwards Hilaire to land in Tampa Bay where Tampa Bay doesn't have a pass catching back. That's something that Bruce Arians really, really wants. Um, Ronald Jones struggled with that in college and he's already struggled with it in the NFL. Um, and then obviously Tom Brady being there, someone who's targeted the running back position at a very high rate throughout his career, you know, with James White, especially uh, of late. I think Clyde Edwards Hilaire, if he lands in Tampa Bay, he could be a fantasy football stud. Yeah. Um, again, because I watched some LSU stuff, um, it, it, he's one of the players that I've seen more of than the others. And for me, he struck me as two things. One, I, I felt that he was really good at making players miss tackles. Um, that quick change of pace yeah. and obviously his height just allowed him that opportunity to just make guys miss. But it felt like as well, he never gave the ball up. Um, and I think in the NFL, and again from fantasy, let's get rid of those minus twos as much as we can. Um, you know, ball retention yeah. is so important. And you look at Kareem Hunt, and that was something he came into the league with, was all about ball retention. First, pretty much the first play I think he had in the NFL, he spills up the ball and the reputation's out the window. But he came back immediately uh, and what, you know, what an impact he had. Um, obviously, circumstances meant that he his career's gone a little bit off the boil. He's bringing it back now. But if he, you know, if Clyde can come in and do stuff like that, then right away, he's another guy that could be an impact player on, on fantasy as well as actually in football NFL. Yeah, oh, absolutely. On to tight ends then. Um, actually, do you know what? Before we go to tight ends, I didn't ask you the other question to that. Is What positions, What other than Tampa Bay, what are the other running backs that you see go somewhere? Um, what, what are the teams that you're thinking, this guy's going to be a player right away? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that Miami has an opening uh, where even though the offense isn't very good, uh, he could, uh, whoever whoever ends up landing there could could truly thrive. Um, so I, I think Miami uh, is an interesting spot. Um, I think we're going to see some surprise teams, though, that you don't think need running backs because what we're seeing in the NFL are situations where a starter uh, has one year left in their contract and teams don't like giving second contracts to their running backs. Um, so a team like Pittsburgh, for instance, with James Conner, Pittsburgh doesn't have many early round uh, picks in this draft. They do have a second rounder, but they don't have a lot of early round picks. If they did, I would almost say they were a lock to try to replace James Conner and get a, a running back like a Cam Akers or something to, to sort of do it all for them. And I still think that's a possibility, but definitely keep those, those kinds of teams in mind as well um, because you know they, they don't want to end up spending up at the running back position on that second deal. Um, on to tight ends then. Are there any of the tight end class this year that you think are going to be impact players in year one? Um, I don't think in year one. You know, usually we see a, a pretty big and, and long transition to the NFL with the tight end position. And I get this question a lot from people as to why that's the case. Um, and I think the really basic answer to that is that tight ends do a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, they have to they have to block. They have to learn how to block better than the other positions do, and they're more important. Uh, from a blocking perspective, but then they also have to be able to pass catch, um, which is not an easy thing to do. You know, we're seeing more uh, move tight ends and, and whatnot, and guys being able to play in the slot more than just lining up on the line and and, and uh, running routes from there. Uh, but you know, you, you there's a lot that these guys have to do um, when transitioning to the NFL and, and and learning this position. So, generally speaking. Speaking, don't expect that much production from from a tight end during the rookie year. The only, you know, I I, I generally don't prospect tight ends uh, as heavily as running backs and wide receivers, just because they're not as important in fantasy football. Since you're only starting one, and you're starting, you know, multiple running backs and wide receivers. 
So really, I just follow athleticism at the tight end position. That's generally the kind of player that ends up breaking out in fantasy. You know, if you go down the list of productive uh, fantasy tight ends, almost every single one of them was unbelievably athletic uh, and sort of freaks of nature athletically. Um, and, and whether it's, you know, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, even Mark Andrews now, who's starting to break out more. Um, and obviously Gronk, uh, there's, there's, the list goes on and on. Um, and that's why, you know, a guy like Alberto uh, from Missouri is kind of intriguing just because of his size speed combo. Um, he would probably be the one guy in this class. It's a really bad class too, but he would probably be the one guy in this class uh, that I would maybe be intrigued by longer term at the position. Right. Okay. Um, so then obviously we are seven days away. There's still so much could happen. If I was to push you right now for one player that you could have in your fantasy team for next year and you had to pick him right now without knowing where he's going, who's the player that you're taking? Man, that's tough. Um, I think I, I I think that I would probably just play it safe and just go with DeAndre Swift, even though he's not the number one player in my rookie rankings and, and the way that I, I'm viewing things right now. The main reason I say that, uh, just to go back to the DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor thing, you know, my number one comp for Jonathan Taylor is Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, that that's really the, the kind of player I think we're looking at with Jonathan Taylor. Um, but I don't know if NFL teams are viewing him that way. And we're seeing more and more chatter about him, not, you know, that he's likely going to be a second round pick um, and they might not see him uh, as a, as a pass catcher and as good of a pass blocker. And then he's more of an early down guy. And that's not a death sentence, but it's not a great thing for fantasy purposes. You really want to get running backs who can catch passes out of the backfield. Whereas Deandre Swift you get another Georgia running back. And the NFL has seen very successful Georgia running backs in the last decade. But then on top of that, uh, teams will recognize that and want to spend up in order to get that player. Whereas with Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin, you know, we've seen a lot, we've seen some failures of, of running backs out of Wisconsin. Um, so I think that the pedigree with, with DeAndre Swift is just safer. So if I don't see the team that he's going to right now and I have to choose right now, I think as a result, I would go with DeAndre Swift. And you know what? There's people doing dynasty drafts right now and they'll be taking this and they'll be running with it. <laughs> Brilliant. Listen, I, I, I'm looking forward to the draft. Let's be grateful, you know, at this time when we've yeah. got no sport, having had free agency and all the stuff that's been going with that, and now we get the draft. Thank God we've got this. This gives us something to talk about, gives us something to watch. I can't wait. For us in the UK, for us in Scotland, you know, it kicks off at 1 a.m. Um, so, you know, it's going to be a tough day on Friday to get through work, let me tell you. But we'll we'll do it because we love the game. Um, and that's when yeah. all the real chat starts. We start to understand the pieces and we can start looking forward to football, hopefully being back on our screens by September. Um what is it that you do for the draft? What do you sit and watch? Yeah, well, so since I've been doing this as my job uh, for the past six or so years, six or seven years, um, it's 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 been a lot more work than pleasure, unfortunately, with the draft. Uh, this year, uh, I will be doing a live stream on, on FanDuel's uh, YouTube page um, with a couple of my colleagues where we're going through uh, round one and uh, day one and day two. Uh, we'll be walking through it, talking prop bets, all that fun stuff. But then also while the the main fantasy positions are being drafted, so quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end, I'm going to be on my other monitor inputting the players into my projection machine and spitting out projections and letting people know where 
the the 2020 projection sort of rests with these guys once they get drafted. So I'll be doing a live stream, talking to to people, and uh, it should be a lot of fun. Were you going to be in Vegas for this one? I was not. No. no. So you're not um, missing out. Actually, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not missing out. I actually haven't haven't experienced uh, a live draft before. It would be a lot of fun though to be able to to be able to do it next year. JJ, we'll all go yes. next year. Let's make yes, it a plan. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, listen, thank you so much for your time. It's been absolutely brilliant to speak to you. Really appreciate your time. Obviously, work for FanDuel. For those of us in the UK, if uh, you want to play FanDuel, FanDuel, of course, open to American customers. But we've got Paddy Power Fantasy, which is the same thing, just under the Paddy Power yes. brand. So um, those of us here in the UK, you can absolutely be part of the daily fantasy scene. There's still loads of stuff going on there as well, even though there's no sport. Uh, it's great to see daily fantasy branching out into other things like esports uh, and things mm -hmm. like that. Even even television shows and things like that over in the States. Survivor, yeah. I've seen some of that stuff as well. Have you been tempted to go and do some fantasy analysis for anything else? Yeah, I mean, I, I I'll I'll be forced to if the NFL season doesn't happen. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, there's it's it's been it's been really cool to see, uh, especially esports. I think esports is a, a really really interesting area, and and hopefully it, it continues to gain some popularity. Yeah, no, absolutely. Listen, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, man. So, Paul, that was a really good catch up with JJ there. Some fascinating stuff. And certainly, as you said at the top, we haven't talked a lot about fantasy football on this pod. So nice to get some proper fantasy focus ahead of the NFL draft. It was fascinating, and I loved the way he just swatted away quarterbacks. You know, there, there's there's loads of them. Yeah. You know, don't worry about quarterbacks. There's loads of them. It, it was just brilliant. It just shows how, how the, the league works. If you can get in your team a top-class wide receiver who's going to catch a touchdown pass once every couple of games and get the right running back, you're almost there. And then you can plug in a decent quarterback. But no, absolutely fascinating. I've certainly learned a few things. I've won a couple of my fantasy leagues in the past, but I feel uh, much more engaged and knowledgeable now. Yeah, and it's so interesting now because you do have daily fantasy. You do have season-long fantasy. You've got dynasty as well in there. There's an awful lot of options if you want to play. And there's a number of different ways that you can cut the data if that's the tip, you know, for the particular game that you do play. So uh, it was really, really pleasing to get JJ on. Uh, absolutely delighted to have him. And, you know, hopefully something that we can do a little bit more in the future. Uh, now, one thing that we will do just before we wrap up this one, uh, we've got a lot of pods lined up this week. So so there's plenty of opportunity to be chatting, but we do have and we've set up the NFL Scotland podcast group on the predict a pick on NFL.com. Now, as we stand, there's quite a few people in there already, but it's always good to get the numbers up because then our group appears higher up the list and then more people join it. So come and join it on NFL.com. Search for the group NFL Scotland podcast. Join up, make your picks, show us what you're made of, show us that you know the NFL. But that is the full-time whistle for episode 96. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Share your thoughts on this episode via Twitter on at ScotlandNFL and on Facebook by searching for NFL Scotland. We're growing all the time, but we need your help to keep that up. We appreciate every retweet and share. As we mentioned earlier, if you've the time, we really appreciate any reviews you can give us, especially on iTunes. Yes, always asking out for that one. We've got a few pods, as I said, lined up this week, so we'll be back very soon to talk some depth on the draft boards. Remember, do sign up for our Predictor Pick competition on NFL.com. Show us what you're made of. 
Indeed. Thank you to JJ for joining us for this episode. If you enjoyed the fancy football side of things, let us know. We'll get more content on in the future. Thank you for listening and taking time to share your thoughts. We'll be back very soon. But until then, bye for now.